So I think the thing that you want to look at, and actually this is one of the last exercises in the last chapter of the book, is to envision the woman you want to be in a year Mm. or five years. I love and then that. let's, but let's not just envision her. Let's break mm-hmm. that down, even sensorily, yeah. like we do with mindfulness. What mm-hmm. does she think? How does she smell? Yes. What does she eat? What does she say to herself in the morning when she gets out of bed? What does she say to herself when she looks in the mirror? Right now, something I'm saying to myself, which is not something I want to say forever, is I've gained some weight with a hip replacement mm-hmm. this past year, and I am dressing the body I have. Because it's hard wow. to go up the size. And I think a lot of women in COVID have experienced this. And so I, at first, was like trying to squeeze into the clothes that didn't fit mm-hmm. or kind of like have fringe clothing. And we're going mm-hmm. on a trip as a family. I, I'm speaking on stages. You know, I finally thought, even if I donate these clothes and bless a woman in my size down the road, I'm going to dress the body I have right now. Oh, that's fantastic. All I'm working on helping the body that I want be more healthy. And that would mean have less weight on it. Sometimes the story we tell ourselves is not really true. Sometimes the story others tell about us is not really true. Here on today's Heart Lift with Janelle, we are going to learn how to rewrite our story. So pick up your favorite pen and journal, grab a cup of something delicious, and start your heart-lifting journey towards living a meaningful life. Hello, Heartlifters, and welcome to today's Heartlift with Janelle and boy, Michelle Neatert. Did I say that right? Yes, if you need yes. her, call Miss Needert is what the kids used to say when Niedert. I was a crisis counselor. Isn't that funny? Miss Needert, yeah. exactly. Um, well, we need you today, Michelle. This new book that you have coming out, Make Up Your Mind. Wow. I mean, it's prophetic. It's titled to me is very prophetic and it's very timely for me. I already shared that with you before we started recording because I just came back from South America and they use skeleton keys. And I was like, <laughs> Who uses skeleton keys in the, you know, 21st century? And I was so frustrated. And my daughter literally had to put me through what we were jokingly calling Monastery for Nona, because I'm Nona. It's an Italian Spanish culture. And prior to the baby coming, my first grandchild. And it took me a few days. And I was like, I'm so frustrated. Why don't they just have keypads and blah, 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 blah. I wouldn't like it just because of the time involved. Because I tend to be someone who doesn't want to use my time that way. But I'm learning to slow down and have moments like that and turn them into marked moments of a little more sanity, a little more rest. Yes. Um, a little more connection with God. So I, I, and the old me wouldn't probably love that. The new me might like that moment just because yes. if I wasn't rushing, it would give me a moment to take a breath. Mm-hmm. And we created a few yeah. more breaths these days for sure. It just created a new rhythm. And, yeah. and being in a different culture, of course, is going to force you to do that. And they also don't have dryers particularly. I mean, not everyone doesn't have a dryer. <laughs> But a lot of them do not have dryers. And so every day we're going out and putting out the laundry and the clothespins. I haven't used a clothespin for laundry. I don't know if I ever have, actually. In 37 years of being married, I don't think I ever had a clothesline. I just don't think I have. 
When I lived in England, I did mission work with Louis Giglio when I was in college. And um, he sent me over there and they didn't, the girls did not dry much that I lived with. I lived (laughs) with a doctor and a nurse. So I remember hanging things out then. And and it's kind of funny, actually. I never have broken that habit. I dry my linens and my towels, but I use a clothes dryer. Your clothes last longer if you don't put them in the dryer. So I don't dry any of my tea and they shrink too. So I don't dry any of my t-shirts, dresses, anything like that. My husband laughs because my clothes are all over the house. Yeah. I hang them on, on, on clothes hangers, but not outside, but it was like this beautiful new rhythm that just created something. And it, and in homage to your book, I had to make up my mind. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah. let's, let's, let's Let's really live this. Let's let's live this. Well, yes. it's it's very much when in Rome, right? And um, that when phrase. In, <laughs> yes. When in Montevideo, do what Montevideo is do. Yes. Okay, Michelle, I want to honor your time. We've had um, some technical difficulties this morning, so we are um, so happy to be talking. But you, in this beautiful new book, Make Up Your Mind, uh, when is the release date, by the way? Do you actually, have that came, solid? Yeah, it actually came out oh, in April. Oh. So it's been oh, out okay. for about a month now. It's doing okay. really well. It hit number two during new release time in some really tough categories. We could not topple, nor did we expect to topple Jenny Allen's um, audio book oh. on <laughs> your people. But we did pull a lot, pull ahead of a lot of others, which you, nice. your people won't care about. But it was really a blessing. I, care. Uh, I think the main thing that's a blessing to us is this is a message we felt called to write as someone who does a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy. Yes. Um, I do believe in that idea of, of mindset being very important. It we're in a culture where a lot of people are allowing their emotions to drive their bus. And I do think emotions need to be on the bus. We we can live in a spiritual culture of denying those emotions and not including them. And I think that's very unhealthy too. But I don't think it's a good idea for them to drive the bus. I think God needs to be driving our bus. And, but our thoughts have a lot to do with how our emotions work. And we, I think it's important we examine our thoughts. Some of them are, they serve us well. And then unfortunately, you and I both know this. We both work with women one-on-one. Women talk mean to one themselves. I have a whole second book on that. Yeah, Yeah, they're they're like that inner critical voice that Mm -hmm. says things they should eat themselves to death almost. They should be a better mom. They should be a better Mm -hmm. worker. They should keep a cleaner house. They should, should, should exercise more, eat more healthy. I mean, it's just constant in our culture. And the reality is that in order to do all the shoulds, we, Time Magazine says we need like 278 hours a week and we get like 168. And, and I'm not exact, I'm not quoting time exactly. No, I think it's, it's 168. I think you're right. It's 168 for, sure. for the week. I can't yes. remember exactly how many hours we need. I'm oh, sure we'll that's growing. Out. <laughs> so, but it's more than we need. So it's, it's going to yeah. come down to us deciding what's important to us. Mm-hmm. And then I think that we want to change our shoulds to those want to and choose tos. And mm-hmm. I work with clients on that a lot because that brings freedom. It does. I also think a very important part of that, and this is I really why I love the name of this book because it's it's very um, it's like an affirmation in itself. Today I make up my mind. But Michelle, I think a huge part of my own journey, um, I just shared with you. I'm 62. My heart lifters know that. Um, a huge part of my journey as a Christian woman having been reared in the evangelical faith since 21 years old, my generation at least, um, 
I'm not sure I even knew I had permission to think for myself. Does that make any sense to you? It's like, and I know that I came from a alcoholic home. My father was an alcoholic, very strong Catholic mother. Um, I have just in the last, I want to be very honest, maybe five years understood that I, I can think for myself. I can speak for myself, you know, that I actually yeah. can make up my mind. Yeah. Like what, you know, take me through some, some cognitive based therapies or solution, you know, you do solution um, based therapy. Yeah. yeah focus therapy as well. Therapy. So I think the thing that you want to look at, and actually this is one of the last exercises in the last chapter of the book Perfect. is to envision the woman you want to be in a year mm. or five years. I love and then that. let's, but let's not just envision her. Let's break mm-hmm. that down. Even sensorily, yeah. like we do with mindfulness. What mm-hmm. does she think? How does she smell? Yes. What does she eat? What does she say to herself in the morning when she gets out of bed? What does she say to herself when she looks in the mirror? Right now, something I'm saying to myself, which is not something I want to say forever, is I've gained some weight with a hip replacement mm-hmm. this past year, and I am dressing the body I have. Because it's hard to go up the size. And I think a lot of women in COVID have experienced this. And so I, at first, was like trying to squeeze into the clothes that didn't fit Mm -hmm. or kind of like have fringe clothing. And we're going Mm -hmm. on a trip as a family. I'm speaking on stages. You know, I finally thought, even if I donate these clothes and bless a woman in my size down the road, I'm going to dress the body I have right now. Oh, that's fantastic. All I'm working on helping the body that I want be more healthy. And that would mean have less weight on it than I do right now. And so I think that just there's some freedom. And I think we're going to talk a little bit about helplessness. Sometimes we we feel very helpless to change something in our lives. And so I think what you described though, if you can't think for yourself, you're definitely going to feel helpless, right? Because Oh yes. And hopeless. And hopeless. I think that's a good point. Helplessness will definitely lead to hopelessness. And I see this with women in, like, I've got a situation right now with a really toxic marriage and um, that I'm dealing with it. Anytime I talk about these things, that situation may have been 10 years ago. I kind of blur all the counseling details. (laughs) So nobody knows what I'm really up to in that Ethical storytelling. Ethical ethical stories. Yes, yes. But, um, you know, there are times when if you're in a situation where you don't feel like you're with someone that you can think for yourself and you have freedom, you can even have been an independent thinker. I've met women. I once treated someone I knew like 20 years before, and she intentionally wanted to see me when she figured out who I was. She was like, I'm like, are you comfortable with this? She said, I'm more than comfortable because you know who I was and this is who I am now. And I don't know. I mean, she's crying as she says this. I don't know how I got to this place, but I got to get back to who I was. And I told her, well, we can never go back to who we were, but if there are aspects of that person you want to live out now, we can work on reestablishing those traits for sure. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And so it's funny because you and I are about 10 years apart, which most people don't guess for me. I have young kids. Really fascinating. I know. (laughs) Most people think I'm, I'm younger than I am, which I I always say that like a little extra weight fills out the wrinkles beautifully. So, um, but um, my sister and I joke about that because she's a little younger than me and she's got more wrinkles than me. So she's like, how's that possible? And I tell her, you shouldn't be as thin as you are. That's the problem. It's, it's you, you know, really only siblings skin. can joke like that. Yes. But, only um, siblings, yes. Um, but 
I grew up as a very, like, I just, I, my daughter's wired this way. I'm just so independent. I don't even, th- mm-hmm. and I had a very overbearing father um, mm-hmm. and a pretty opinionated mother. As I'm older, I really realized how many <laughs> opinions she's had and always had, but I love them dearly. Um, wow. And I still, in the midst of that, that just made me stronger. Like it forged, mm. like the harder you push me, the harder uh-huh. I will push back. Yeah. So okay. I have that personality. And so I have always had permission to think, but it ha- it's it been a hard culture for sure. As mm-hmm. a women in ministry in the yeah. 90s and the late 80s, you know, there, there was no, it That's was what I'm talking Everybody about, assumed so I was in the, Greek, oh, to yeah. marry a pastor. 80s and 90s. You know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, same here. You got to marry a pastor. Yeah, oh, yeah, you can't yeah. marry a divorced man. Well, oh, my God, you'll never that, have a ministry. When they found out, I, I felt called to ministry mm-hmm. and not to be a pastor's mm-hmm. wife. They didn't even yeah. get it. There's like, no other job. Yeah. What, yeah. what else will and you do? I'm so grateful that things have changed. My daughter will never have that experience. Uh, this generation of women, you know, they they yes. thank us for paving that way for they do. those battles, definitely. But yeah. I think that's part of like you either, like I know for me, I realized I'm either going to feel helpless as this woman who can't do ministry in these areas, or I'm going to mm-hmm. join with God and, and again, take an internal locus of control of, mm-hmm. I am a minister. I am called to ministry. So God, what does that look like for me in this culture, in this day and age? It's beautiful. And so, for me, it was not only church staff at times, but it was this counseling ministry made it a lot easier mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. So in this book, Make Up Your Mind, oh, mm-hmm. Michelle, I, I, it's, it, it, it's very hard to narrow it down, but you and I did. And you talk about all kinds of different mindsets, the angry mindset, the anxious mindset, the depressive mindset, the discontented mindset, the doubtful, the helpless, the hurried mindset, the lonely, the scarcity, ah, come back and talk about this, the victim mindset, and then, of course, the mind of Christ. And so we decided we were going to focus in on chapter seven, the helpless mindset, battling apathy and weakness. We really don't talk a lot. I know that I have not talked about helplessness and learned helplessness on the podcast yet. So I'm so happy that you're bringing this conversation and expanding our, our mindset, you know, of what does that look like in our life and what can we do? You know, apathy is in the air. It's just, for me, it is anyway. It's I just, think I, apathy is the byproduct of hopelessness that sits so long, you no longer give a rip because you can't handle there it hopelessness, is. right? Mm-mm. So then it goes to a new level. And it's because we can't, mm-hmm. we can only, apathy is almost a distress tolerance response, I think. Very often we talk about that in dialectical behavioral therapy that you okay. have to learn. And that's where I think a lot of learned helplessness comes from. So we live mm-hmm. in an environment of distress of some type for a long period of time, whether we live with somebody who's out of control and it may be an out of control parent or an out of control spouse, or it can even, I treat women and they have out of control kids Yes, that are, they feel very helpless Yes, regarding. That's right. So any of those can create, when you live in that environment for more than a month or two, and it mm. becomes kind of your way of life, then mm-hmm. there's some learned helplessness involved in that where mm-hmm. I feel like, because we can only change ourselves. We cannot change others. Please hear that, you guys, heartlifters. Come on, you've got to hear Michelle telling you that. You can only change yourself, make up your mind and change yourself. Go ahead. But here's the hard part. We still have to live with others. 
I know. Isn't that hard? I know. It's so <laughs> you know, hard. And I want to live with others. I'm an extrovert. I, I would never, I mean, I, I, I'm going to be the golden girl's house. You know, I joke with the writers. <laughs> you can all come live with me. If I ever become a widow, I don't plan on living by myself. I, either that, or I'm just going to come visit all y'all around the country. Wow. I'm so opposite. <laughs> so funny. Okay. So I don't need difference. you to knock on my door and say, don't be alone. <laughs> Right. And, and I like my alone moments, but like, I'll take a, I'll, like most people who take a weekend to be with people, I'll take a weekend to be by myself. So, and that's just the it's difference. Right. And I just yeah. learned something fascinating from Holly Gerth, another therapist, mm-hmm. um, who's not practicing, but still writing about introverts and extroverts. And that is that we produce different neurochemicals in our brains. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. So, I love to always learn. You can I never know, know everything. So an extrovert is run mm-hmm. by, um, d- dopamine not shocking. Right. And I have ADHD symptomology. So that I love dopamine, like no other, uh, your, your, your listeners will figure the ADHD out pretty quick. We're 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 already on a new topic here. Um, but, um, introverts, uh, run on acetylcholine, which is more like the eggs and things like that. So they need different neurochemicals so that I'm even thinking about that nutritionally. What does that mean for our clients right now? I'm definitely going to do that. Batting this around. But, okay. but think about it. You do get a dopamine hit when you go out and you do something new and you go out yes. and you have fun with people. So you could understand why an extrovert would love that. Yeah, but again, that's that, even right. part of the coping mechanism. So I'm even thinking about that filter in terms of everything. So let's take learned helplessness. So yes. if I've learned helplessness, and, and I'll kind of talk about this from my own perspective in my own life, there was a lot of helplessness in my home. So being an extrovert, guess what I did? Oh. I spent all my time. I, my parents used to call their house a hotel for me. And because I wasn't helpless outside of my home, I mm-hmm. had efficacy and I had um, admiration because I was a gifted kid and I was, I could do a lot of different things. Could I perform, was, you could honor do student, well, I could perform. So yes. Mm-hmm. So I learned this pattern, unfortunately, of running myself too hard and not spending time being grounded at home because home yeah. wasn't really a safe place. My dad could lose it at any time. And okay, it could thank be you for your honesty. my room wasn't very clean. And he doesn't mind me talking about this now. And let me say yeah. this. I think it's important for your listeners to hear because a lot of times um, we don't, I'm also spending some time with Allison, Dr. Allison, um, Oh my goodness. Why am I blanking her name? Cook oh, on, um, Allison the inter- yeah, on the internal, internal family, family systems. systems. Yes. We've had her so, on the show. It's amazing. So we can, so my father is also a very godly man, even though he was an incredibly angry man, he was the head of mission aviation fellowship and pastoral development. And so I've asked him, can I talk about this now? He's like, we take credit. For, you know, my sister writes Bible studies for Lifeway. He's like, we take credit for your good. I guess we need to take responsibility for the bad that was there too. And so he's point. okay with us sharing that part of our lives. So I spent as much time out of the house and away from his anger as possible. Mm-hmm. And so I, I had helplessness there, but I quickly learned a way to cope. But some people can't sure. do that. An introvert right. might not could do that. So then they're yeah. in the home hiding, right? Without a doubt. And they're, then they learn to withdrawing, hide. Yes. Depressing, and withdrawing. I have one sibling who you can barely tell they're in the room. They have learned to shrink mm. even their presence. Yes. I think to keep out of my dad's sight when she was younger. Without a doubt. You know? Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for this. And thank your father for, for allowing us to learn from this, because honestly, this is a topic I know has not talked about a lot. I know positive psychology talks a lot about learned helplessness, but 
what what is it? Can you define it for us? Or mm, I know it's hard okay, to put that in. So it. I'm thinking about that right now as you're saying that because I don't want to Google it. I think I kind of want to talk about <laughs> it for my um, yeah for my for my 25 years or your of story. therapy, you know, right. kind of thing. So what I'm thinking about is it's the sense that I am not in control. Yes, and I learned that through my life experiences, whether they be in school because I'm poor and I'm overlooked. Or maybe, or, or and not attra- as attractive as what might be a um, criteria in our worldview, you know, our cultural mm-hmm. worldview. So therefore, I learned this helplessness that I and and we feel like we can't change it. Right, we feel and, um, and then we create incapacitated. Life, yes, and right. we can create life scripts from that. In fact, we can get them so far that we could get into which I talk about in the victim mindset chapter. That that triangle, the, I call it the drama triangle. It's beautiful for writing stories. As I used to be an English teacher, and I would teach. Fiction. Mm-hmm. Yes, my students that you know you need a victim and a perpetrator and a rescuer, right? But the reason we need that is because people identify it because so many people live in the drama triangle of their lives. Oh, what would you guess percentage wise? I would just say um, I don't even know. But anyway, yes. So I don't know. I don't know. It's we so all do at some point. At some point, we yes. might all. Okay. Yeah. I think that's a great point. And, and that's yeah. where I love that we have a, a mutual mentor, Dwight Bain. And yeah. they we talk about, he talks about seasons because John Maxwell's yes. trained him. And he talks a lot about seasons in your life. So, yeah, I think, I don't think any of us get through not having a season, whether, for example, I mean, we, had conflict. A, we had a really interesting season. This I've, I've, I've hit that learned helplessness stage two other times. One was from okay. severe church hurt. I was on staff at a church and my two bosses went at it and split the whole thing. And in that process as a single woman, pretty much destroyed my livelihood and my income. And I mean, even the counseling center was destroyed in the process that that I was working for and the director of. So mm-hmm. that was really tough. And then um, the other time that I felt that probably four times is when I was when I was struggling with fertility. I felt a lot of learned helplessness with my body because sure. I couldn't make myself have a baby. No, you, <laughs> I was you trying really medically to do that, but it still wasn't I working. Know. And let me tell you what, I was nagging God hot, harder. I told him if the story of this Bible of the widow and the judge is about getting what you want by bugging you, I'm going to be I'm the bugging one the heck husband. out of you. I'm bugging the heck out of you, Lord, until you give in on this one with me, You until you want to just shut me up. You know, so good girl. I I don't know if that's really biblical, but that's kind of the way I felt at the time. And then um, I think when my so my husband's twin sister and her husband developed cancer within two weeks of each other. Oh, I have their diagnosis. And they left behind after five years. They both died. They died within two years of each other, living, leaving behind three children. And there was a lot of helplessness in our family. And there's still some residual effects of that with one of my children who has ter- still struggles with the fear that both parents die. And he could, Oh, that gives me chills. Not, yeah, I have twins. I have a boy-girl yeah. twin. So, yeah. yeah. And it's super hard. It's hard to lose a twin. Although, she, it's funny. My husband was traveling so much. She and I were closer. We were raising our kids together. Yeah. Um, and so, it's it's still hard sometimes. Certain, sure. Certain, um, like one of them is driving, just started driving. One of them oh. graduated last year. And those were hard moments. Milestones. Yeah, mm-hmm. those milestones without them are tough. So you can feel helpless in those moments when somebody can't get well. 
for sure. Yes. You know, I definitely think there's a helplessness aspect with sickness mm-hmm. and any kind of like, um, as I work with people who have cancer diagnoses and things like that in the, yeah. with, whether with kids or with adults, definitely. I see that. Um, yeah. but you can also have learned helplessness from someone who's trying to take control of your life and your finances. You know, I see this with, um, a lot of times women who uh, yeah. don't know where the money is yes. and and aren't working outside the home and are with someone who's got a pretty domineering personality. Mm-hmm. And over time, they can feel helpless. And if that person's also telling them that they're stupid, they don't do things that well, they could do this yeah. better, then I have seen really bright, competent women over yes. time not yes. recognize themselves. Well, you shrink like you were talking about one of your siblings. I think there is a shrinking that happens. You shrink back. Yeah, most definitely. And it can happen to the most high functioning of us. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So I think as we talk about this, what is the solution? Because I'm solution focused. You are solution focused. And I love that so much. But here's what I want to say. As we are solution focused, you have to sit with people as they figure this out. I tell my staff this as I'm training them. You know, I would like to fix everything in six to eight sessions, but God doesn't work like that. Time doesn't work like that. And people don't get that way in that amount of time. And they don't heal in that amount of time. I spent two years in college with a discipler who happened to have a master's degree in counseling. So learning how to heal from living with my dad's anger Mm. and my mom's teaching of don't poke the bear for oh, so yes. long. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right. And sure. figuring out how to set and funny, I became, you know, associated yeah, in my twenties with John Townsend and Henry Cloud and teaching on Thank boundaries God. and dating, but Thank learning God. how to set boundaries, how to speak truth and love to my dad to the point, which I will never forget. I was 21 years old. And he told me, if you don't let me in the school to watch you teach, you can't have this microwave. And I said, dad, you can't come in the school. I have students who are all, I was in an inner city bus in high school. It wasn't a safe environment. Um, there's security at every door. My principal is like, no way. You already look 10 <laughs> and you're teaching you did. <laughs> 21 year old gang members. You cannot have your daddy in the classroom. We both agreed. And he said, if I have to, I'll have security, keep your dad out. I hope we don't get to that. And I said, I hope we don't too. So my dad and I are sitting in the parking lot at lunch. And he, even though I've told him you can't come in, he's saying, you don't get the microwave if you don't come in. And I said to him, I love you, but I guess I'm not getting the microwave. I'll buy my own dang microwave. (laughs) Buy my own microwave. Um, Because you can't come in this building. Because it would create an unsafe environment for me. And he threw that, he apologized for this later. He threw that microwave down and said, I'm done with you. In his anger and desire to control and walked away. And I remember- someone, someone's leaning in because someone has had that familiar, um, been in that car with that, overbearing whoever. Yeah. What, why did he need to come in your classroom? I think what it was, was his purpose. Just, I think, you know, uh, my dad, I believe he kind of jokes, he says he doesn't have ADD. Cause he's like, why don't I need Ritalin? And I said, because my mother is your Ritalin because my mother takes care of everything for my dad. And she is super organized. So, I mean, she'll even like sit him in front of a recliner and say, put this in this box, this in this box, this in this box while he's watching TV. And then she'll take care of all the boxes for him. She's literally his wow. Ritalin. Wow. Okay. I told him I didn't marry Ritalin. So I have to deal with my own problems, you know, but uh, my husband will not do that for me. He might help me clean out the crud I've built up in the garage, but that's as good as it's getting around here. And we always joke because we throw away half as much as he wants to, and twice as much as I want. (laughs) There you go. That's a good rule. Yeah. So, um, 
But I think the thing is my dad was hyper-focused. I think he was in an ADHD state of hyper-focus. He had decided that he really wanted to see me teach and he couldn't let go of that idea. He was stuck on it. It Yeah, he was stuck stuck on on it. He was looping almost. And he doesn't like to be told no. So the no really put him in a loop. And if you live with somebody who has to have control, you know what that loop looks like. They can't almost unloop Oh, yes. Well, I think, um, would I be, I mean, I'm, I have a loop. I, 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 we all have a loop. We all have a loop. Yeah. Let's be real. I love that. I think that should be, that's a great name for a conference. We all have a loop. Yes. We all have a loop. So, so we have to meet. So when we look at internal family systems, you know, I would say that if I could, if my dad could have taken whatever part of him was looping and figured out what that was about now that I'm 50 and I have a 15 year old, I think I know. He's letting go of his first child. I'm graduating from college. Oh, you're the oldest. He has no more influence over me because That's I'm correct. about to be financially independent. I have a job already. You can buy your microwave. I can buy my own microwave. And he's, I think there unconsciously, there's a fear of, will she have a, I mean, I've done damage. He knew it by then. Because yeah. we. what was the hardest and the breaking point for me and my dad is we read The Blessing by... A friend of mine, Dr. Gary, Dr. John Trent, and then Gary yes. Smalley, who used to be my pa- pastor at a church at the same time. And so it broke my heart to think, what if I was 40 something and my kids mm-hmm. were grown and I was just learning these truths? I mean, I'm reading this book at 20 and I have the opportunity to bless my kids. And I get my, it. yeah, right. My dad can't go back and fix what he did. No, you can't. No. no. So all this is going on under. You can repair it. You can repair it. Yeah, but it takes time rare. to learn new it, it ways does. to do things. Oh my gosh. And yes. let's, I mean, that's the thing I want to give your women a break on. If you have learned helplessness, your brain's been trained that way. Your neuropathways okay. have been established. I do believe there can be freedom in Christ and a release of the spirit almost instantaneously, but that's going to be followed by hard work of yes. retraining muscles. And in the book, I compare it to a hip replacement, which I've had and you're about to have. I am. So when you're done with your hip replacement, you have to get up and walk immediately because yeah. you have to do two things after a hip replacement. You have to re-strengthen your muscles all over again. So if you've had learned helplessness, you're going to have mm. to slowly have to take, I'm going to use a big word and then I'm going to explain it. Efficacy, yes. which is control of your life again, Ugh. an internal control of your life, not somebody else's, but yours. Mm-hmm. So good, Michelle. And that's going to take some time to create new neural pathways. I think it's going to start with your mindset. So you're going to have to reprogram Mm -hmm. your mind to think that with God's help, I'm powerful. With God's help, I can make change. Maybe with God's help, I can leave and separate so that I can get better. With Mm -hmm. God's help, I can stay and bear and still hold on to myself. Hard, hard work. Hard work. Hard work. I love what you just said. Hold on to yourself because you, but in this, you're actually learning who that is. Heartlifters, we had a little technical difficulties right here in the middle of this conversation. And so I just want to summarize and then we'll pick back up when those audio difficulties got better. Michelle was explaining that in the reformation of our pathways, We have to go back to a time, perhaps, where we felt strong or capable or integrated, we might say here, or a time when we felt whole, perhaps before some hard things happened. But there also will be times when you don't have that reference point. 
and you have to look to community. You have to look around for other sources to help you reform your pathways and find out who you really are. So here we pick up with a story about a man who came into Michelle's life that spoke healing words to her. We'll tell you how I healed the most. There was another man in my life at 16. I babysat for a pastor of a church who was strong but gentle, who was um, never unpredictable. I never experienced that from him, who did not constantly, you are going to be one of the greatest gifts to God's kingdom someday. I know you're a woman and this is going to be a hard path for you, but I believe in you. I think you can do this. I'm going to help you every chance I get. That's why even though you're babysitting for me, I invited the head of the seminary to meet you because I think you're worthy. Don't ride in the mouth with us. That's the kind of person that came into my life. And so I learned from someone else outside of my family and outside of my community and more opportunities of that as time came on. So I think sometimes we have to look other places to learn and, and, and see other models. And and that was the hard and the good part of my parents going, my parents left the country when we were young adults to become overseas missionaries. And they were gone for two decades. Um, And that's when dad was with MAF. But during that time, we had the kingdom of God as surrogate parents. And I almost didn't need to reparent myself because I was reparented by all these really godly, healthy people who didn't grow up with ADHD and the chaos that my dad experienced. My dad, my dad, you know, it's it's always generational. You can look back. My dad was a yeller and he hurt physically occasionally. His father was violent. And my I grandfather, say, I had heard, to have had that passed on. Yes. Yeah. I, my grandfather, my great grandfather, I heard held a gun to my, one of my grandfather's siblings' heads. That body. there you go. So, so it's epigenetics, yeah, right? It's yeah, generational trauma. Yeah. Yes. It's generational trauma. Okay, heartlifters. Let's take a collective deep breath. Let's put our hand over our heart. <sighs> take that deep breath. This is a lot. It's a lot to take in. Michelle is so full of knowledge that I relate that, you know, she just wants to give you everything and I want to give you everything. But I have learned that we have to take some pauses to actually digest what we're listening to. So I'm going to break up my conversation with Michelle into two parts because my conversation with Dr. David Hawkins was also very intense and very, uh, It was an invitation to look into our hearts, our minds, and our souls. And this season, season nine, moms and mental health, well, this is just the heartbeat of what we do here. We want to be heartlifters, women who stand in the center of our spheres of influence with a strong, healthy sense of self, strong, healthy behavior patterns, and strong, healthy communication skills. And we will be tested over and over and over again. And so I think Michelle's addition to our conversation about make up your mind, and also her and Denise, her co-authors, invitation to, to really think about what kind of mindset we have. A mindset is just that set of attributes or that set of beliefs and values that we hold true. And some of those are unhealthy, toxic, negative, just like Michelle was sharing about her father, a good godly man who actually had a lineage of of 
unhealthy anger and uh, rage in his family, as she just shared about a great-great-grandparent. You know, that stuff's real. Epigenetics, looking back at the emotional DNA of our family's lineage. My father, you've heard me say, he was a good man with a great big problem. And that problem didn't start with him. It went back generations. Once I grasped that, as I was spiritually maturing, I could love my father. I could have more grace and more mercy for my father and was able to restore with him. And, And Michelle is doing the same. I love her story. She's raw, she's honest, it's hard to hear, but she is being real with us and helping us have real life examples about how to make up our mind. So Denise and Michelle give us a variance of mindsets, an angry mindset, which deals with bitterness and unforgiveness, an anxious mindset, one that deals with being fearful, worried, we have to restore peace, a depressed mindset, one that has a lot of discord and discouragement and disillusionment, a discontented mindset, one that deals with envy, comparison, pride, doubtful mindset. We're going to be dealing with a lot of unbelief and hopelessness, a helpless mindset, which is what we've chosen to hone in on here in episode this episode. In a helpless mindset, we are battling apathy and weakness. Maybe you have a hurried mindset, a hypervigilant mindset, one that's full of overcommitment and has no margin. Maybe you have a lonely mindset. It's full of grief and isolation or a scarcity mindset, covetousness, lust, or maybe a spirit of poverty inside of that. Maybe you grew up in a lineage where repossessors came into your home in the middle of the night and took your car, took your house. Maybe that's part of your lineage. Well, that would make you have a scarcity mindset, I would think. Maybe it's a victim mindset where you feel insecure, rejected, abandoned. And then they close with having the mind of Christ, which is our goal here, is to actually move as we examine our current mindset. And, you know, it might be a little bit of each. Uh, We need to go, okay, I see this. I see myself battling this. So it's time to make up my mind. I want to have a growth mindset. I'm going to start putting things in place in my life that feed my mind, my soul, my spirit, my body. That's what we're doing here in this episode, and we will continue the conversation in the next episode. Uh, Denise and Michelle have a negativity mindset quiz inside of the book. Uh, It's available to you on Amazon. You can get it wherever wherever bookstores are. You can find it but definitely on Amazon for sure. I like to support our indie booksellers, but I do know how convenient uh, at times Amazon can be. So I want to just encourage you to listen. I want to encourage you to take a pause and to consider what's rolling around in my mind. Am I living out of a fixed mindset? Nothing will change. He'll never change. They'll never change. My children will never change. Is it negative? Is it fixed? Is it stuck? Do you have loops that go on in your brain 
that are just stuck. I'm no good. Nobody cares. Nobody sees me. Nobody values me. What's the use? Or do you have a growth mindset and you just need some more encouragement? Well, we're here for you. I want to thank Michelle again for being with us in part one. Stay tuned for part two. And please, please, Heartlifters, would you please leave a review of the podcast? You have really have no idea what difference one sentence can make in a review. Just go to JanelleRairdon.com slash podcast. Scroll to the bottom of that page and you will see I have laid it out for you. It just couldn't be any easier. I am just so grateful in advance for you doing this. And in the meantime, make sure that you are putting on that growth mindset every single day this week so that we can grow and become all we were born to be. Thanks for listening today. It was great having you here. For even more great content and resources, please join the Stronger Everyday online community at JanelleRairdon.com. Always remember, you, my friend, have value, worth, and dignity. 